0: morning So the reality is is we find ourselves in a world filled with false gospels. Some are blatant and obvious, others are a little more insidious and so we as Christians, we study the gospel, we are not just saved by the gospel, we are sanctified through the gospel and one thing you'll hear me say a lot is you will never outgrow the gospel because we delight in it. It changes us. It it conforms us to the image of Christ. We never want to drift away from it. We want to guard it and protect it because we don't want to find ourselves enslaved once again once we have found freedom and life in Christ Jesus. Christ is sufficient. He is enough. As soon as we drift from that mooring, we find ourselves either running from the gospel or corrupting the very good news we once believed in. He is our righteousness. And by faith, we are saved through the grace found in Christ. Let's pray. Father, Thank you for your grace and mercy. Because apart from it, we would be lost, we would be dead, and hell would be the only end. But in grace, in love, in mercy, you send Christ Jesus. And it's awesome when we contemplate the reality that it is God in flesh who came for us, who died because he is the only one being fully God and yet fully man who could die in our place and take the burden and the weight and the wrath due to us. And for that, we are grateful, thankful, because in the finished work of Christ, life is found in the finished work of Christ. Forgiveness of our sins is found in the finished work of Christ. Sins are removed and forgotten. In the finished work of Christ, we are counted heirs, sons and daughters, children of the covenant. And so we are grateful. I pray that we would never forget this truth, Lord ask that you would help us to not just think it as something simple that we hear once, but see that even in the simplicity, there is depth, there is riches, there is so much to be plumbed. And we are forever grateful and forever changed. We pray this in Jesus, our Lord and Savior's name. Amen. Flip your Bibles over to Philippians chapter 3. We have been working through this short letter, and it is Paul writing to a church that he loves deeply. He has this deep love and connection for them. He wants them to be rooted in the gospel, finding joy in the Lord, but he also wants them to be aware that there's stuff out there that that can lead you astray. So root yourself here in this truth so that you aren't pulled away. And so we read these words From Philippians chapter 3. Going to be looking just at verses 1 through 3. Paul says this. Finally my brothers. Rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing to you. Is no trouble to me. And it is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evil doers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we. The circumcision, who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. That's our text. And so I hope that this morning we will leave rejoicing and worshiping in the Lord through the gospel. We would leave rejoicing and worshiping in the Lord through the gospel. Why? Because through the gospel, we become God's people. So let's start with verse one. Rejoice in the Lord. Seems pretty simple, right? Rejoice in the Lord. Paul transitions here. He says, finally, brothers, I'm sorry to say it, but the English translation is really poor on that. Actually, He is not being like a pastor who says, and in conclusion, and then for the next three hours does the conclusion. Paul is actually saying, moreover, or and so, he's trying to get them to to transition. All right, I've said something here. I've talked about something here. But moreover, I want you to think about this. Rejoice. That's a command. I want to point out that not every command in the Bible is a negative, don't do. There's actually more do commanded of us. And Paul is saying, rejoice. That is a command. It's coming out of Paul's lips to the paper as he sends it out to that church. But joy is what God commands. God is not some sort of cosmic killjoy. In fact, It's almost as if God created us for joy. Please hear the sarcasm in that statement. Because he did. God is about your joy. God wants you to be filled with joy. He wants you to find satisfying joy in him. And all of us, all of humanity pursues joy. That's what we are about. We think joy is in this, so we chase after that. We think joy is found here, so we go after that. We are about joy. And God says, yes. But he wants it to be pointed back to him. Rejoice is the command. And God writes to his people through his apostle. He says to this church in Philippi, embrace and walk under the influence of joy. I want us to to be reminded that Paul is writing to actual human beings Right, Paul is writing to, to real people who are living in a real world. And he is writing to people who, when they receive this and they're hearing Paul say, rejoice, they're thinking, but Paul, my marriage is struggling. And there, there's there's a lot of tension here. But Paul, my car broke down, or chariot or cart or whatever they used back in the day there. But But Paul, you don't understand, like... My kids are disobedient, they're, they're not following after the Lord. They're, they're chasing after all these other things. But Paul, my boss is a pain in the butt. You don't understand. How am I supposed to have joy here? But Paul, but Paul, Paul understands these things. He is writing to real people who are experiencing the very same thing that you experience today. There's nothing new under the sun, right? Paul understands that reality, and he is writing to people who are who are experiencing things that are difficult, who are experiencing trials, who are experiencing challenges, and he says to them, as he says to us today, rejoice. You will face hardship, and there's going to be that initial emotional, mm, I'm upset about this. I'm discouraged. I'm heartbroken. I'm... I'm overwhelmed. What do you do next, though? Right? There, there, there's, that, there's that momentary response. Uh, and, and that's not necessarily sinful. The question is, what do you do next? Where do you go when you have that, hmm? Don't want to rejoice. What do you embrace? What do you run after? Paul in, in, in 2 Corinthians talks about sorrowing yet rejoicing. So when I, when I talk about rejoicing and joy, I want you to understand they can be held together with, with, with hardship and pain. I want you to understand that, that rejoicing for Paul doesn't mean plaster on a, everything's fine, super awesome, it's great. He's talking about this underlining, if you will, this this steady, consistent joy that you can have even amidst sorrowing. Does sometimes it bubble up into this overflowing experience and, and expression? Yes. But he also understands that this joy needs to be better than something an experience can produce. Christian, what are we supposed to find joy in? Well, Paul already gives us the answer. He says, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. The Lord is your context, right? You are in him, the sovereign one who is over all things. His hand is upon you. He is working in you. Your life does not exist outside of the I am. Rejoice in that one. But when Paul uses the word Lord, more often than not, he is speaking of Jesus Christ. So he is saying rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in Christ, meaning rejoice in the reality of who Jesus is, what he has done, what he is doing, and what he will do for you. Why? Why? Because if that has personally and profoundly affected you, if Jesus has, has changed your life, you can find joy amidst trials, amidst difficulties, amidst things that are not the outcome that you were hoping for, nor receiving the material things that you were chasing after, or the praise of man. All of those fall short because all of them will run out. But Jesus never does. So we rejoice And the Lord, if you have a Bible, I'm gonna ask you to flip to a a passage. I don't have the slide because it only popped into my mind the other day as I was working over this. But in the book of Habakkuk, right? when was the last time your pastor was like, go to Habakkuk? If you don't know where it is, don't worry. Most people here don't. They're looking in their table of context right now. But in Habakkuk, chapter 3 This is what this prophet says and and I just find so much encouragement in this and and I realize he's writing to a culture that's very ag-focused but read between the lines here. Put it in your own context. The prophet, chapter three, verse 17 and 18 says this. Though the fig tree should not blossom nor fruit beyond the vines the produce of the olive fail. The fields yield no food. The flocks be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls, right? Nothing good is happening. Verse 18, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of Of my salvation. There's something more important than the fields producing. There's something more important than having calves in the barn. There's something more important than having a bunch of zeros. Which hopefully have a number in front of them in your bank account. There's something better. It's the Lord. It's the salvation of the Lord. And we have to grasp this reality. Because when you have joylessness. Right? No joy. That shows something. It reveals something, doesn't it? There's this lack of joy is showing you put your hope and confidence in something that is not the Lord. The problem really isn't out there. The problem isn't the circumstance. The problem's in here. It's in us. The problem is our heart. We find joy in something else. So when that joy is taken away, where's our joy? But if we have the Lord, the one who's promised to dwell in us, the one who's promised never to leave us or forsake us, you can take away all those things, but can you take away our joy? No, because it's with us. I'm going to be honest with you guys here, and I don't think it's going to be a surprise, but life sometimes is pretty crappy. But that doesn't change who Christ is. I'm going to be honest with you. I struggle with this. Like, I, I battle fighting for joy because I look at things and I say, can't it just happen the way I want it to happen? Just once. Just one day. From the time I get up to the time I go to bed, I would love for everything that just happened. And I'm not asking for anything crazy like I win the lottery. Like I'm asking for kids to know where shoes are. I'm asking... <laughs> For for uh, you know, just like all the stoplights to be green, so that my six minute drive can be done in five minutes. Like, I I'm just nothing big. But as soon as one of those things are taken away, man, I am mad. I'm dejected. I'm disappointed. I'm angry because I put hope in stupid things. I don't think I'm the only one, right? I struggle with this. I forget. I need a letter like Paul writes to the Philippians where he keeps writing again and again, rejoice, find joy, rejoice, rejoice in the Lord always, rejoice in the Lord. And again, I will say rejoice, 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 rejoice. There's 104 verses I think it is in Philippians and 15 of them, Paul is talking about joy. That's a lot, Why? Because we forget. Paul says, I'll write it to you again and again. I don't mind reminding you. Why? Because there's safety here. When we are rejoicing in the Lord, there's safety found there. The joy of the Lord is our strength, Nehemiah writes. It helps us to withstand. It helps us to to keep going. The famous... Bible commentator Matthew Henry said these words. I I love this. The joy of the Lord will arm us against the assaults of our spiritual enemies and put our mouths out of taste for the pleasures with which the tempter baits his hooks. Isn't that beautiful? When we have joy in the Lord, it it protects us. When we have joy in the Lord, it it keeps us. I love that picture. I know there's a lot of fishermen up here, right? It takes the taste of the pleasures that he uses to bait the hook. And so I say to us, church, are you safe from these dangers? Are you safe? The only way to be safe is to to rejoice in the Lord. What do we need to be safe from? Well, Paul goes right into it. Take a look here at verse 2. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. I don't think it's a, a surprise that he's talking about rejoice in the Lord, and then he says, "Look out! Rejoice! Be warned! Be on guard!" Why? We must guard against a false gospel. We must guard against a self-confident false gospel. And I'll explain how I got there right here. Paul warns them of these people. He is saying there is danger. He is warning the Philippians of a group of people known as Judaizers. These are, I'm going to put it in quotes, Christians, right? At least they believed they were Christians. They were going about and they were placing their confidence in their flesh, in actions, in the things they could do. Did they teach that Jesus was the promised Messiah who would come and take away the sins of man? Yes. Did they teach that Jesus' death Paid for sins? Yes. Did they teach that Jesus rose victorious over sin and the grave? Yes. So what's the problem? Here's the problem. Listen carefully how it gets played out. They would agree to all those things. They would say Jesus is the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world just like the sacrificial lamb of the Old Testament. His blood will cover over sins. It will atone But it covers over the sins of the covenant people. Here's the catch. Covenant people, that language, right? It's, it's Jewish language. It makes sense, right? Like they are God's covenant people. So, but here's where the challenge is. Here's where the gospel breaks down for them. How do you become a covenant player? How do you become a covenant person? How do you become a covenant person? Person who's for that team, how do you do that? Well, you need to be circumcised and you need to follow the law. The Judaizers were placing their confidence in the flesh. And by the flesh, there, I don't just mean the physical body, I mean the things the body can do. Yes, circumcision is in the flesh but it was in their actions. Do these things so that you can get from God redemption. Their hope was in what they can do, not the gospel. Paul describes these Judaizers as dogs, evildoers, and mutilators, and it loses some of its punch because in the the rhetoric in the Greek, these three insults actually all start with the same Greek letter, kappa, kappa. And so there would be this repeated sound that would draw them in. This isn't a perfect translation. This isn't good, but I was just trying to work to get this. They'd be reading through this, this letter, and all of a sudden they would hear, look out for the canine, look out for the criminal, look out for the cutters. There's also irony here. Paul is awesome when it comes to rhetoric. He's great at getting people's attention. And he's great at at, at doing things, showing things. And there's, there's irony here. Because of Jesus Christ and the gospel, there is a reversal. Paul is writing to Gentiles. And he's saying to a Gentile church, you guys, right? Be aware of the dogs. And why is that ironic? Because it is Jewish people who thought that Gentiles were the dogs. They were the unclean ones. They were the ones outside of the covenant. And Paul is saying to Gentiles, actually, the Jewish people or these Judaizers who are trying to bring in the Jewish law and the Jewish teaching, they're the dogs. He calls them evildoers. Right, These ones who are coming thinking, we're doing the work of God. We are getting people to do what God has commanded. And the ironic thing is that what they are doing is actually against what God has commanded, what God has been about. And then he calls them mutilators. Again, if you are if you fluent in Greek, which last week you found out I'm not. Um, the term for mutilator and circumcision rhyme. It's funny that he says, watch out for the the mutilators. And then the very next thing he says is, we are the circumcision. There's a rhyme there. They're close, but they're not. They're about something else. They are putting their hope in action. The thing that they are holding up as, look at us, we are part of the circumcision. We are part of the covenant people of God. Paul is saying, no, they're not. The thing they're priding themselves in has actually become a sign of their separation from God. The reality is, even in the Old Testament, the real issue wasn't circumcision of the flesh. It was the circumcision of the heart. That's what, what the Old Testament has always been focusing on. The outward deed was never the be-all, end-all. It was really about what was going on in their heart. Long before Christ ever walked this earth, it has always been about spiritual circumcision. The cutting of the foreskin was just a sign of what was already happening in their heart. The prophet Jeremiah says God will punish the ones who are circumcised only in the flesh. Right from the very beginning. It's really never been about the cutting away of the foreskin. It's been a cutting away of the heart and giving a new one. Paul would write in Romans chapter 2, verse 28 and 29 For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. Listen to what Paul says here. But a Jew is one inwardly. And circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, right? The the spirit does the circumcision, not a man's hand, not by the letter, Paul says, not by the law. Paul would say in the very same letter of Romans, he would talk to Abraham, Abraham, the patriarch, the one that God said, I want you to go and circumcise every male in your home. Paul would point out and say, hey, remember Abraham? When was he counted righteous? Was it when he was circumcised? Was it when he did something? No, it was when he believed, when he had faith, when he trusted the Lord. Paul's saying the person you are holding up as as being this one who is faithful, the reason he is faithful was because he trusted the Lord. He trusted. He had faith. That's why he is counted righteous. We battle this false anti-gospel today. not about circumcision today, but it's the same false anti-gospel. I call it anti-gospel because the gospel is about grace and this is about works. And here's how it plays out in our lives, right? I know there are people here who think this this morning. You think, if I do this, then God will do fill in the blank. Or you think this way, because I have done or maybe haven't done, God is doing curses, bad things. It's the same thing. They were saying, you need to be circumcised. You need to follow the law. We think you need to walk old ladies across the street and show up to church every Sunday, read our Bible for at least an hour every day pray for two hours, then we need to always be nice, we need to always be calm, and if I don't do my, and you add your list of all the other things that you add on there, and we make up things, right? We just make it up as it goes. Thinking, maybe if I do this, God will be happy. Maybe if I do this, he'll be pleased with me. It's still work-based. Yeah, it's not the Old Testament law given to Moses, it's the law of Kurt, or the law of put your name in. But we battle this and we battle it because this is how the world works, right? If I do these things, I get rewarded. If I don't, or if I do it wrong, I get punished. But that's not the gospel. The true gospel obliterates this form of thinking that somehow in the flesh you have reason to have confidence. The gospel says you can't save yourself, but Jesus says it's finished. The gospel says it's in mercy. God is not giving you what you deserve. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The gospel says you find grace. You get what you don't deserve. For from him, from God, the fullness, we have received grace upon grace upon grace. The gospel undermines anything that you can boast in. I go to church 72 weeks a year. What? We do it all the time. I pray that the gospel would undermine and would cut in our heart and would circumcise our heart and, and, and make it about him instead of about what I come and bring. True circumcision True saving faith is not a matter of what you accomplish. It's not a matter of what you do. It's a matter of faith. It's a matter of trusting in the finished work of Christ. Paul, who we'll talk about a little bit more next week. I mean, he's a Jew amongst Jews. Like, if you were Jewish, you'd be like, Paul is the super Jew. Like, he is amazing. And Paul says to a bunch of Gentiles in verse 3, We, including himself, Paul who has been circumcised, we are the circumcision. Paul, the one who actually had the foreskin snipped across and cut away, he says to a bunch of Gentiles who are uncircumcised, we, we are the circumcision. What Paul is saying by that is he's saying, we are the people of God, not the ones who do the circumcision. We are the people of God, not the ones who follow the law. We are the people of God. Because he has circumcised us. Therefore, church, the true Jew, according to Paul, the true covenant people are those who are saved by faith through grace alone in Christ alone. Therefore, let us celebrate. We are the people of God. We are God's people through the gospel. If you want to be counted as a son and daughter of the living God, you don't do it by circumcision. You don't do it by following the law. Whatever law you want to apply, Right? You do it through the gospel. The gospel is what changes us. Christian, it's through Jesus Christ, not through your actions, not through anything you might put your confidence in, not through anything that you might bring. It's through Christ that you're counted righteous. The Father has set us apart. Jesus has made us righteous, and the Spirit has circumcised our hearts. Where am I getting all of this? It's right there in verse three. We are the circumcision who worship by the spirit of the God. How do we worship by the spirit of the God? Because he has circumcised our heart. He has changed us. He has made us new. He has made us about something else. How do you know that you are one of God's set apart people? You worship him. Nothing else. the writings of the two prophets of Ezekiel and Jeremiah, we, they looked forward to a future time when God would give his people a new heart. He would put his spirit in them. In First Peter, Peter writes about how the prophets looked to a time, but they couldn't see it fully, but they looked to a time when they were hoping these great things to happen. And Paul is saying, it's happened right now. In you, Christian, he has circumcised your heart. He has taken out the heart of stone. He's put in a heart of flesh. He has changed you. He has saved you, not because you are worthy, but because he is. And so we worship. We praise the name of the Lord. That day has come, and it's not because of what we have done is through Christ. And so we put no confidence in the flesh. We put our confidence. We glory, Paul says here, in Christ Jesus. The only reason that happens is because we see who Jesus is, and we delight in him. It's almost as if Paul wants us to rejoice in the Lord. We bring nothing but our sin to the gospel. He does it all. And so we rejoice. There is reason to rejoice in the Lord. This passage really isn't about warning. If you go from verse one to verse three, and we'll see this going on next week as well, all the way through here, this passage really is about worship. God has done something for you and in you and he has made you his people. You are the circumcision. Rejoice in the Lord because he did it for you. When we grasp what God has done for us, we worship. When we understand that we are his people and that he has saved us, we worship. We don't add to the gospel. We don't create hurdles for people to jump through. We show them the grace of God and we say, he does it all. Don't tarnish the glory of Jesus by bringing in law where Jesus has fulfilled it. Don't tarnish the glory of Jesus by adding in things that you like. Don't tarnish the glory of Jesus by subtracting from his finished work. He has done it. It is finished. It is finished. It was finished then. It is finished today. It will be finished tomorrow because it's done. Trust in him In him alone. We glory in Jesus. He is our treasured delight. He is the one who actually saves. You don't. He does. Amen. Let us rejoice and worship in the Lord because through the gospel you become his people. Let's praise his name forever and ever. And let us find joy and satisfaction in him. Let's pray. Lord God, forgive us when we think we can somehow earn or merit salvation. Lord, forgive us because even those of us who have been saved for many years, we still battle in our mind. We still think we have to somehow earn it back, that we've lost it because we have fallen short again. But the reality is, is you meet us in our brokenness and you bind us up. You heal us and you, you, you anoint us and you, you, you bring us back can't flee from you. Our sins are so big and there is nothing we can do to somehow diminish them or to pay for them. And the reality is, Lord, help us to remember because we forget again and again that they've already been paid for in Christ. Help us, Lord. Help us to not come with any confidence except Christ. Let our boasts not be in what we have done or have not done, but our boasts be in Christ alone. And let us rejoice because we have so many reasons to. Thank you for Christ, our Lord, our Savior, our Mediator, our Advocate, our Righteousness. Thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to. Oh, no, no, no.